Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. Our journey through 2 Corinthians continues with chapter 7. The first verse of this chapter was actually a concluding thought at the end of chapter 6. So we pick up here with verse 2. Paul returns to his earlier themes. He visited with them on the way to Macedonia. It was a sorrowful visit, which he followed up with what we call the severe letter. It made him decide not to visit on his way back to Ephesus. Um, Titus, however, has arrived with better news, and he writes this letter to say that he does plan to come and visit them again in the near future. Titus probably delivered the severe letter, and until Titus arrived with this better news, Paul was faced not only the usual challenges of ministry, um, but the unrest that he was having over the Corinthians. So he had disputes um, about ministry as he did ministry, but then he also had the fear within his heart that things were going horribly wrong with the believers here in Corinth. Paul was afraid of how they would receive his letter and how they would treat Titus, as well as that they would they would, might lose their faith. They might um, walk away from God over the things that have been happening. When Titus failed to meet him in Troas, as they had planned, Paul fretted a good bit and until he finally arrived. Paul regrets that such a letter was necessary, but thankfully it did what it was supposed to do. It has brought them to repentance. They have corrected their behavior, and there's greater Christ-likeness happening now. Sometimes a spiritual leader has to be a little hard. It can't always all be sweetness and light. John Wesley paraphrased verse 3 very beautifully. He says, another way to say it would be, I could rejoice to spend all my days with you. Moving into chapter 8, Paul encourages them to be generous. He's already talked to them about the collection that he's mentioning here back in the what we have is 1 Corinthians in chapter 16. Now, they may have gotten distracted by all this conflict. They may feel embarrassed at the amount that they've collected because it's not very much, perhaps. But Paul repeatedly uses words like eager, which he uses five times, and grace to describe the right attitude and action for them to take. This also has a practical side. There's a balance of things and sharing. He's not urging them to share to the point of reversing their position. Like they don't have to become poor to share with the poor. But Christians don't sit comfortably by unmoved by suffering. If we have the ability to do something about it, we should. Paul also realizes that this is a way to bind their hearts and to encourage cooperation between Jewish and Gentile believers. It becomes a model for us to follow. In verses 16 through 24, Paul's arrangements are clearly intended to head off any trouble. 
Um, I don't have any idea why Paul doesn't just name the other brother in verse 18. Maybe he's intending it to be a surprise. Suggestions of who it might be have been Luke, Apollos, Aristarchus, Artichicus. There's really just not any way for us to know. As we move into chapter 9, Paul returns to the to the collection being taken. It could be that this surprise celebrity person who is going to come visit them is intended to spur their giving, to encourage them. Um, he is perhaps using their vanity to the benefit of their generosity. Um, whoever these people, this person or persons are, they are coming ahead of Paul. And Paul may be coming with some of the Macedonians to let them get ready. So they're coming in advance so that nobody has to be embarrassed. You have time to get your your stuff together. Sometimes a little bit of friendly rivalry, a little bit of competition can be beneficial in accomplishing a goal. And Paul seems to be using that. Um, get, get it together. Take up this collection so that when I arrive with some of the Macedonians, they won't have outdone you in their generosity. Verses 6 through 15, um, he says, The one who is generous will find others and God generously disposed toward them. He encourages them to give as they feel led. And Paul is trying to inspire them to give, not guilt or shame them into giving. It also seems that Paul is discouraging telling people what they must give. This needs to be something we do freely and generously and because the Holy Spirit has prompted us to do it. He quotes Psalm 112 verse 9, and scattering abroad would mean to distribute freely amongst them. God is generous with us, so let's be generous in response, and you'll be blessed for it by God is what his message seems to be. Chapter 10, some believers... Some scholars believe that chapters 10 through 13 are the lost severe letter. So they actually would have been a previous letter that has been appended to this one. Um, Certainly, the tone changes here. This would mean that the final greetings and the benediction of this loving, inspiring letter that we've been reading for the first nine chapters have been dropped off and that these final three chapters are that severe letter sewn onto the end. Um, there's a change in attitude and tone, and it would seem that like now we're turning around and undoing or undermining all the inspiration to generosity that we found in chapter 9. So I'm inclined to think this may be a, a separate letter that has been added here. The complete confidence in chapter 7, verse 16, and the joy that is in like all of chapter 7 is gone now. So something has, has changed. Paul starts here in chapter 10 with a defense of his ministry. Some are saying that he's timid in person. He writes very boldly, but he folds when he gets in front of people. We all know keyboard warriors, and that's kind of what they're calling him, was you're, you're mighty with the pen, but you um, certainly are different in person. And he says he doesn't want to fight. He would prefer that we just all submit to God and follow the example of Christ. 
Paul recognizes that disagreements can have spiritual forces behind them, um, that there can be a spiritual aspect to the disagreement that is happening. The battle may be in the spiritual realm, and it will need to be fought that way. The knowledge of God that he references in verse 5 means particularly the work of God on the cross. Um, Paul says that being meek and gentle with them is being Christ-like. In verse 6, the punishment is probably expelling the troublemakers. And Paul only would be able to do that if they recognize his authority and they all listen to the Holy Spirit. In verses 12 through 18, Paul's tone becomes sarcastic. He feels that their credentials of loyalty to Christ far outweigh those who oppose them. Um, They came to the Corinthians first. Paul didn't come and meddle in their work. They're actually coming along behind he and his team and meddling in his work. He believes they're overstating and they are boasting. And that's not what he does. Um, he, he and his team are laboring for the Corinthians' benefit, not for their own ego or accomplishments. He quotes Jeremiah nine twenty four in verse 17. Uh, the only legitimate boasting is in the Lord, in Jesus Christ. Moving into chapter 11, um, Paul now decides to use some of his own fancy talk. He's going to answer the rhetoric of the so-called super apostles, the other teachers who are coming in and undermining him. Um, And he calls the believers the bride of Christ. And particularly here in Corinth, he compares them to Eve, who was deceived by the serpent um, to commit sin. They're being deceived by these other teachers. He talks about them teaching another Jesus, preaching another Messiah, a different type of Messiah. More than likely, what they were trying to do was bypass the cross, bypass Jesus' suffering, dying, and resurrection, Um, denying any of the aspects of the crucifixion or the resurrection is just anathema to Paul. Like They are key and central to what we preach and what we believe, Um, and a different spirit would be advocating other ecstatic gifts and states of mind and being basically letting pagan worship bleed in to what the church is doing and how they are engaged in worship. It's better to be untrained in your speech than to be stupid and easily fooled uh, in verse 6. In verses 7 through 11, The Corinthians have gotten offended because he let the Macedonians support him. He didn't live off of the donations from the Corinthians. He was a tent maker, and he has labored. He's been a bivocational pastor so as to not be burdensome for them. When he went to Macedonia, the Macedonians supported him, and he focused full-time on ministry. And now the Corinthians are offended by that, and it's not entirely clear, but Someone seems to be wanting to spin that as being hypocritical on Paul's part. In verses 12 through 15, he he has not taken support from the Corinthians. He's not lived off of their gifts, and he says he won't do it. And he won't do it because they'd just use it against him, like they're looking for something to be upset about. He'll work himself beyond tired 
to deprive them of the opportunity to have that to criticize him with. And he uses some strong language and tone here, um, calling them false apostles and Satan. Um, Satan rarely comes looking like evil. Um, Satan comes disguised as an angel of light, looking good and tempting. In verses 16 through 33, um, Paul finally gives in to this boasting. Remember that boasting was a common expectation in that culture. Prove yourself. Convince us to listen to you. Rehearse your credentials and standing for us. Paul thinks it's foolish. It might even be disobedient to God to do so, but he's going to yield here. Apparently, we're not going to be able to move forward unless I match person for person, achievement for achievement here. And he's saying, God's not prompting me to do it. I'm giving in to your pressure. He's doing it because others are enslaving them. Others are taking advantage of them because they've fallen for their boasting. Basically, he says, they're putting on airs and you're falling for it. So let me see if we can match and go toe-to-toe on this. Paul then sarcastically declares that the other teachers were too weak um, there. Thanks be to God, they didn't succeed. And Paul can match their Jewish credentials, and their miracles. And he's absolutely incredulous that they would prefer the domineering leadership of these others instead of the kindness and gentleness with which he has treated them. He then parodies their boasting by boasting in his suffering. So even though he said he's going to give in and do what they're doing, he just can't bring himself to do it that way. Um, He's going to offer up a catalog of his sufferings. And this is very reminiscent of Stoic and Cynic philosophers of the time who would give a list, a catalog of all their suffering, but they would say that they were unmoved. They they had untroubled serenity through all of it. Paul's not going to say that. He's going to be a little bit raw, a little bit real here and just say, I've been through a whole lot of stuff on some of y'all's part. So how about y'all knock it off and let's realize where we've been through together in Christ. And with that, his um, parodying their boasting by a catalog of his sufferings brings us to the conclusion of chapter 11. (music) 